Time to talk basketball with Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So the Utah Jazz delivered the kind of win their fans have been dreaming of. This is what they want, to beat a legit title contender with a champion on the roster and to do it on the road and to dominate the final five minutes. Steve, should we just get out of control with positivity here or should we pump the brakes a little bit for one reason or another? Well, I think that's what everybody's been waiting for. You know, I mean, I think there was some pretty, as you mentioned earlier, a week or two ago, you talked about expectations being pretty high. And I think this is probably the first time where people felt, fans felt, that, uh, hey, the Jazz can do this. They can play at that next level and they can do it on the road. Um, I think the last time we started, we were were talking a little bit about Engels and and how, you know, whether he should start or not. And as we look back on that, uh, it's easy to look back, but it's it's been really a, a huge adjustment in terms of the success of this team. And we can talk about that a little bit. But and then I think, obviously, Jordan Clarkson, uh, that trade was significant. Uh, he goes for 19. Uh, Conley not even playing. So, yeah, I think it's nothing but real positive experience. And, and uh, it's something that everybody can get excited about. As you evaluate the Clarkson for Exum and a couple of second-round picks in that deal, uh, what is your analysis? Listen, I, I, I watch Jordan Clarkson, and uh, I'm familiar with him, I, I, and I, I've seen him play a lot. He is someone that plays with a great deal of confidence. He can create his own shot. He, he, he can shoot it. You know, and Exum, as athletic as he was, and I don't know if we ever really saw his full potential, you know, a great team guy and everything, but Jordan Clarkson is a huge upgrade in terms of how he can help this team immediately, and he's proven that. He's immediately come in and made baskets, shot the three, uh, and, and really uh, gives them more depth. And I'm not sure when Con- Conley's returning, but uh, I don't think they've lost much putting Jordan in there and, and playing him, whether he comes off the bench or he starts. It's, uh, he, he is a great addition to this team because he can make baskets. So I'm curious what you think of Clarkson in the long run because there are guys who you don't want to burden with too much Go get hoops. <laughs> just you know, and you can put him in with a bench group that doesn't have a lot of firepower. He can beat his guy off the dribble, so it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't want a lot of picks because that just sets up makes it easier to double team the guy, right? So you really right. do want to keep it simple. But Quinn, man, there there's a lot of subtleties. There's layers upon layers. You know, they're we're gonna do this, they're gonna have an answer, we're gonna do this. And the guys who flourish with him are guys who get that and can handle it. And, you know, he's only in his third year, but, you know, I think we're seeing that with Donovan Mitchell. We're seeing it with Ingles. I think everyone thinks that Conley should be able to do that. Is that the kind of guy Clarkson is in the long time? Or will we always just say, put him in with the second unit, keep it simple, and let him take his guy? I get, you know, he's really not had that kind of opportunity. He, he's kind of been a guy that's come in that second unit. and But I, I, I've just watched him enough to know that he... he there are so many guys in this league. You know, you, you take a look like Patrick Beverly, who, you know, has played everywhere and undrafted type guys. And, and you know, and we don't get that until you watch him just play with your own eyes and go, this guy can play. He has a sense and a feel for the game. And, he, he, you know, he didn't come in nervous. I mean, it's, it's not easy to go all of a sudden adjust and get into a new system. And especially one that's as technical as the Jazz. And Jordan Clarkson uh, has that 
it's been a seamless transition. I'm, I'm not saying he's going to 19 and 20 a night, but you're right. He's going to be playing against second groups, but that's what they needed, you know. And I think what's happened is that having him run the second group and now Ingles being in that starting group, and you look at Ingles, this has impacted Ingles' play. I started looking at Ingles' statistics in the last nine out of the last ten games. He's been in double figures. He's shooting 56% from the three. He's comfortable in that starting role. I don't know how this all plays out with Conley, but all of a sudden Jordan Carson just seamlessly steps in and, and can score in that second unit, gives them confidence. Uh, I, I really like this move. It, it's going to be it's going to be a difficult thing. I mean, I, I think Conley comes back and he starts, but if all of a sudden the team's not playing to where they need to be playing, and Angles all of a sudden drops back to a you know a, a thirty-five to thirty-eight percent three-point shooter rather than shooting fifty-six percent in the last ten games, uh, then you know you got to make those kinds of decisions and what's best for this team. And right now, Jordan Clarkson is good for this team. Angles is is uh, good for this team as a starter. Okay, so how much then, Steve, is it Angles starting or maybe a matter of time before he started playing well since he has shown for the last five years that that's basically who he is? Well, I think, I th- I think there, that is part of it. I also think that his role with the, the starting rotation is different than – I mean, he kind of plays off those guys, and when you've got to guard Donovan Mitchell and you, you've got Gobert inside, he, he's just more comfortable – and he understands his role, or at least up to the early on, it seems like he understood his role better as a starter than he does coming off the bench. Not that he couldn't do both, and not that he's not coachable and isn't willing to help the team, but the chemistry's better, at least what I've seen in the short term, when Ingo starts. And, and I, you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about this briefly, and, uh, you know, I really wasn't sure. My, my mind wasn't made up. But I think the Utah Jazz are better when Ingle starts, and he's better. Well, I think what we've seen through the first uh, 32 games of this season, you can't debate that. You're spot on. Uh, I think a couple things, and you kind of alluded to it, you know, what happens when Conley comes back. I think Joe might be better with the, be- with the bench group. Now with Clarkson added and Conley back, the bench can be better. I think what held Joe back was that other teams could focus on him in a way he could never be focused on. He'd never been on the court with the Jazz, at least, where he, well, that's all we've really seen of him in the NBA, where he had been the best player in the group by that wide a margin. And I thought that was a big problem because he's very no, good at playing off of other people and he wasn't getting that choice. The other guys weren't good enough to play yeah, off that's of. a very That's a great insight. There's no, there's no question about it. And with Jordan Clarkson... Uh, and others, uh, that may not be the situation. That may be just how it plays out, and that will make them a much better basketball team. But it's nice to have the ability and have those choices and have guys playing confidently. And, I mean, I think the key thing with Conley is that he's just got to kind of regain his confidence, and when he does, and I, I, I agree, I think you bring Conley back. You're not, you brought him in here to be an impact guy. You bring him back in and start. And, uh, and that's probably what's best for his own mindset. Because if you want to get the very most out of Conley, you know, they can't be playing games with him and putting him starting one night and coming off the bench another. That, that would be destructive to his confidence and the chemistry of this team. He belongs as a starter unless he just flat out doesn't perform, and I can't see that happening. So I like that insight about, you know, Joe will be better 
he will be better in the second group now because of some of those things you just mentioned. And having said that, and having built that, now I'm going to zig when you expect me to zag, Steve. Yes. I think I would leave Joe in the starting lineup and move Royce to the bench. I think Conley as a veteran has earned it, and I don't. What a guy who obviously has some some level of confidence problems. He wouldn't be human if he didn't. I would not want to take that starting role away from him. I'd put him back in the starters and give him a sign, hey, we know you can pull your way out of this. We know you can. I'm not convinced I'd put him in the finishing five, though. Those five have been Mm -hmm. too good. The first six minutes of a game are not that important. I mean, I don't want to say they're not important, but they're not that important, whereas the last six minutes, they're everything. And so I think I'd put – I'd tell – I tell Royce O'Neal, who, by the way, I think has a mindset in multiple ways very similar to Joe Ingles, which is a big compliment for Royce. I think that he's much more willing to pass than shoot like Joe. He's very willing to take on a big defensive assignment like Joe. And I think he doesn't care if he starts or comes off the bench like Joe. So I think I'd probably move Royce out of the starting O'Neal, or Royce O'Neal out of the starting lineup after having a conversation with him. Hey, we're trying to get Mike going. We think this will help. Uh, but you're still in the finishing group. Royce is plenty smart you know, enough I, to know what that I don't means. Know, I don't know these guys as well as you know them, Royce. Yeah. You know, and in some situations, that scenario could be destructive. But just the things that I've observed in watching Royce play and, and listening to you guys, you know, he, he's probably a, he's a team guy, and, and he wants to be a part of this thing. And I think that's a conversation. That's a narrative that's going to take place probably, and you're probably right. That's what it's going to come down to because taking Joe Ingles out of the lineup right now as a starter, uh, when he's playing at the best he's ever played, uh, probably doesn't make great sense, and especially if you can put Royce there. And, again, circumstances, time and score, injury, all the variables that come into a game. And I I agree with you. The first five minutes of an NBA game are not the most important time. Those games fluctuate and go up and down so much. And those games start, you start getting a feel for real competitive games. You start getting a feel about the middle of the third quarter, how this thing's going to play out. And that's one of you, you do want to have your best team, your best chemistry, your best scorers, you know, you, you want to have your best opportunity to win. It's going to be in the last quarter and a half against two evenly matched teams. So I'm curious if you have uh, much interaction with Paul George and any read on how things are going with the Clippers because their record is a little better than the Jazz, but not a lot. They're in the same ballpark. But I wonder how much, yes, the Jazz beat them and that was a great win, but how much is this team not peaking, not bothering to peak, not wanting to peak until April or May? And while it's a great win for the Jazz and Jazz fans feel great about it, uh, down there in Clipperland, are they thinking we are still at least three months away from trying to peak? Well, uh, he, I have talked to Paul. Paul had his uh, jersey retired uh, about two or three weeks ago, so I spent two days with him. And I hadn't really spent that much time with him and his family and my family, and we did a variety of activities. So I did have a chance to talk to him. And I, and I think that there is a sense and a feeling that the, the Clippers are not in a hurry. Here uh, it's kind of like they're they're patient. Um, they're I mean this load management and stuff, all of these kinds of things, making sure guys are ready. They're a pretty confident group. It was kind of an interesting dynamic because when Paul had his jersey retired, uh, Balmer and and Doc both brought about seven or eight players and with them and and surprised Paul at this ceremony at, at the arena. And, and I thought it, w- it was funny because they, it's kind of like, where, where's Kawhi? And, and Paul goes, oh, 
Fry does, he doesn't do these things. <laughs> he doesn't do these things. And, and Paul and Kawhi are really, even though they've known each other a long time and competed against each other in high school and stuff, I think they're still kind of getting on the same page themselves. Just, just talking to Paul, I could tell that they're, they're trying to develop that chemistry. And, you know, I, the, the thing that the Clippers, the, the intensity by which they play, uh, I don't know if it's, is he pronounced his name Harrell or Harrell? The, the big kid Mon- the yeah, Montrezl Harrell. Yeah, Trez. Yeah, Harrell. And, you know, he, he didn't play in that game. That guy is a huge piece of that team. And he, he's a guy that could start for a lot of teams in the league. Uh, but I, I think the chemistry is good. Everything Paul told me, they're, they're excited. Uh, they don't feel like uh, at the end of the day that what matters right now is not that important. Is kind of getting to a place where we can be confident together and play together. And, uh, you know, it, you, you, I've watched them play a lot. And uh, they, they just defensively – are going to be in games because they're just so doggone athletic and long, and and they're, and they're kind of they play fearlessly. And and Patrick Beverly is not always the funnest guy to watch play, but he is a real pain and to for for teams. And uh, I don't love his personality and how he approaches it, but you talk about a guy that's come from nowhere to help a team and and really has given him a sense of energy. Um, I, I like the Clippers. I I, I have, I'm. You know, I was a Laker fan my whole life, and I don't know if you were growing up, but but I was always a Laker fan, and it's been kind of difficult for me to sort through this when I'm so close to Paul. And so I've kind of gone to the Clippers, but there's a part of me that feels like the, the Lakers are going to play great basketball at the end of this year. And, uh, and I know that, that at times during the course of this year that they haven't demonstrated that, but there's just little pieces here and there that I believe at the end it is going to be those two teams playing who knows who? Maybe it's the Bucks or Celtics or whoever it is coming out of the East. But uh, I, I still believe that even though the Clippers have beaten them twice, uh, I, I, the, Lakers, the Lakers are going to have their day and time uh, when they get things figured out. So I grew up in San Diego, and the Clippers moved from Buffalo when I was in junior high or high school, I think. Eighth, uh, eighth grade, I think, maybe ninth, somewhere in there. And... Uh, by the way, you should go. Any, anyone who's into NBA history and all that, the San Diego Union-Tribune just wrote a story. Uh, I was just telling Yak about it in a commercial break. 35 years since they moved, and they go into all the weird, bizarro stuff that Sterling did, <laughs> including hiring someone from Playboy International as a team vice president and sitting next to her. And they got a picture of it. It's part of the story. And that doesn't go. Jim Lynham, who you probably know because you're a basketball yeah. lifer and he's a basketball I lifer. Do. So he's quoted in the story about how he's uh, talking to the team in Phoenix in the locker room and they got served with papers. The bus didn't show up to pick them up at the airport. They had to take taxis to a game because they didn't pay the bus company. The, the wife coming and looking at how many pieces of paper they were using on the mimeograph machine. The mimeograph machine. This was 35 years ago. So anyway, long story short, uh, the Clippers were the char- people were aware of the Chargers and the weird move to L.A. and nobody going to games. But the Clippers were the Chargers 35 years earlier, right down to the owner's initials, DS, the initial you see on TV, LAC. I mean, it's just like it's it's a flashback. So I can't really I don't really root for the Clippers, the Lakers. I just watch good basketball and the Clippers are finally finally providing that it looks like there's six teams in the west that are providing that 
Do you rule any? No, of it, it is great. I mean, you start looking like for, 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 for the Jazz, nine out of the next ten games are against teams under five hundred, and and you know six, they've got some away games, but uh, in the Clippers, I'm looking at the Clippers schedule, and eight out of their next ten are under five hundred. So I I think you're going to see things play out where it's going to be Lakers, Denver, Clippers, and the Jazz in the top four. Not and, the Rockets. And I think that. Pardon me. Not the Rockets. <laughs> No, I, I, I think that I'm talking about the next two weeks, two or three okay. weeks. I, I think you're going to see the Jazz. I think you're going to see the Jazz take a step. I don't, I don't think Denver's playing better, but I, I think probably a week from now or two weeks from now, it's going to be the Lakers, it's Denver, the Clippers, and the Jazz. Or maybe the Jazz are in front of the Clippers. They go on the road. You know, I, but the, the, both the Jazz and the Clippers have a really, really easier schedule over the next couple of weeks than, uh, than Denver and the Lakers. But, uh, so I, but I, think, I think the Jazz are going to get into a solid, probably a fourth position, and it'll be them in Houston. Uh, I, I love the way Dallas plays, but I, I just don't think they can do it for 82 games. And, but I think it, it's going to come down to the Lakers and the Clippers at the top two, and then it's, it's, it's going to be between the Jazz and Denver and Houston. And I, I think the advantage will be if – the Jazz start winning and, and winning big and getting these, where they're winning six, seven, eight games in a row, it's just going to give them more confidence and put them in a position that, uh, hey, they, go, they already went to L.A. and beat the Clippers. And so it's not in their mind that they feel like they can't do it. They've got a lot of confidence. And, uh, and, I, and I think bringing Jordan Clarkson along and getting Conley back is just going to make them better. And uh, so I, I, I do like – I think all of us felt like – the Jazz had a chance to be third or fourth in the West. And then all of a sudden it wasn't happening early, but the, the schedule has a lot to do with that. And even though they're playing away games, and when you go play the Magic, it's no easy out. You know, you, you go play the Nets, it's not going to be an easy out. But those are winnable games if they play well and are healthy. Milwaukee Bucks, 29-5, uh, and five, but and, and there is a little wiggle room based on how a team is playing at the time or if a team is in a playoff spot now but won't hold it. But basically, I think if you look at the Bucks' schedule, they're 6-5 and five against good teams, and they're 23-0 and 0 against teams that are 500-ish or worse. And so a big part of the regular season and where you're seated is how much you clean up and beat the teams you're supposed to beat. And you got to clean up on those teams. And the Bucks are doing it, man, 23-0. and 0. The five teams they've lost to, uh, I think the Jazz and the Celtics would – Jazz, Celtics, Rockets, uh, Sixers, and uh, maybe Lakers. Somebody else. Uh, it's you know they're basically losing the you know top third of the league. Yeah, no, there's no question about it. And and I think with teams defensively, uh, especially the top teams defensively, and what they're going to give up with the Bucks and what they're going to take away, and how that all plays out. But for uh, for a team like the Jazz, it is this seed is important. And, and so they they need to grind this thing out. And obviously you need to have something left in the tank at the end. But when they have schedules like they have right now, they need to put their foot to the you know the pedal and 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 push forward. And all of a sudden they come off this next ten games eight and two or nine and one, and they've got that kind of confidence, you know. Because at the end of the day, there isn't much that separates any of these top five, seven, eight teams. They all have they all have talent. They all have good coaching. It's a matter of who's playing with the most confidence at the most important time. And, and there, there's enough talent on the Jazz. There's enough talent on the Denver. 
in the Lakers and the Clippers and Houston to win an NBA championship. It's just a matter of who's getting the most out of who they have on the floor. Injuries play a huge part in this. And, you know, you're missing a guy or missing a guy here. It's hard to really tell. But you want to be, at the end of the year, if the Jazz are having to go on the road early in the playoffs, man, that road is really hard. They they need to have a home, home court advantage at home and build that momentum. And yeah, eventually probably are going to probably go on the road, but let it be for the finals, <laughs> you know, and uh, in the West. So there's a, there's a lot of things happening right now. Uh, the Jazz are playing well. They need to take advantage of this situation right now. And you, you, I mean, you've got to respect everybody. On any given night, a team, we see it every night. You look at the scores and go, how did that happen? How did they beat them? Well, the, everybody's got pros. Everybody's got people that can make baskets. And, and, and they're all well-coached, no matter what their win-loss record. Those, these are 32 of the best coaches in the world and, and, the, and the best players in the world. So the idea that the Bulls can't win at home is foolish <laughs> because they can. And, uh, and on a given night, and so as teams prepare for these teams under 500, they need to be at the very top of their game. And, and you, that's when you're benched. On the, when you go on these long road trips, you really need a strong bench to give give a break to the starters and to not have everything come from just your top five or six players. All right, Yach tried to get me to go to break two minutes ago, and I've only got like three questions left I want to ask. And Yach is you now looking at me just shaking his head like, you are impossible. People think PK's hard to deal with. It's really you, DJ. You're the problem. He's right. I'm the problem. Uh, real quick, though, as we just blow through these, uh, Utah State – is nationally ranked. They're opening the conference season at home Saturday against undefeated San Diego State. Who wins that? Well, that's a good question. I've seen both these teams play, and both have won on the road. I mean, it's hard for me to ever bet against Utah State at home when they have that kind of an environment. Uh, but this is a really good San Diego State team, and, and they really – I mean, they've always really guarded, but they found ways to score now. Uh, I'm going to go to Utah State. Go with Utah State, number one, because of, of just the home court advantage and 10,000 people, and San Diego State sitting on no losses, and uh, that's that's something that people are constantly talking about. And at some point in time, they're going to lose a game, and if they're going to lose a game in the league in the Mountain West Conference, it's probably going to be at Utah State. So I'm going to go with Utah State, though I really like uh, the San Diego State team. I mean, they are a complete team and have had great wins. Utah looked great against Kentucky, then backed it up with a really disappointing performance. But then, and so, well, maybe Kentucky's overranked, but then Kentucky and Louisville, what a game. So maybe, that, maybe Utah really has something, because to beat Kentucky, I saw Kentucky-Louisville. Kentucky's good. So can Utah handle Oregon? Because they're open the conference season against the sixth-ranked team in the country, and Oregon looks like Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four. You know, they got, they got all their goals, and they look like they're reachable. Can the Utes, can the Utes do it in their opener? Well, the Utes, the Utes, you know, their first five or six games, they're, they're going to play. I mean, even Colorado was ranked. Uh, for quite a while, they're number 27. They're going to play Oregon, Colorado, and Arizona in three of their first six games. So this is a really tough stretch. Uh, most important game, though, for every coach is the next game you're playing. A win over Oregon State will do wonders for that team. They're already playing confident, regardless of the fact that they're playing so many freshmen and sophomore. They're, they, they play with a purpose. Uh, I've watched this Utah team play three or four times. Uh, they, they, they always guard. 
They're taking good shots. And uh, the, the play they're getting out of some of these, these freshmen is wonderful. The uh, best thing I love about Utah is when they take Timmy Allen, because Coach Krasoviak takes Timmy Allen and uses him in ball screens. And all of a sudden, he becomes a screener really as kind of a three or a four man, but uh, he gets isolated in the post. And from eight feet, 10 feet, 12 feet, they have a huge advantage there. I love that action. Uh, this is a team that has, I think, exceeded expectations in the preseason, even though they've had some tough losses. But, but at, the, at the end of the day, this is a group of young men this year and next year. I think it's going to be a really special group. And they're going to, it, the, the Pac-12 is better. You, you guys have been watching this. This is the best the Pac-12 has been in probably two or three or four years. And, and so there is more parity. But it's a team that, you know, has stepped up. And so you, you hope that they'll be ready for both these Oregon games. Uh, but the OSU game is a really important game for them. You, they can't afford to lose to OSU and then play three of the next four games against ranked teams. And then uh, BYU. They have a team that maybe they, okay, let's say Gonzaga's great. They sweep BYU. BYU splits with St. Mary's. Will the Cougars beat the rest of the league? Because I think it's been the losses to, point, uh, to Portland and Loyola Marymount and USD that have sunk their NCAA tournament hopes. Do they defend well enough that they're going to win all the games they're supposed to win? Yeah, I, I do believe they are. I, I, I think you, you have such a senior-laden team, and they can score inside and outside. And they, they, the chemistry is good on this team. There, there is a toughness there that uh, is really important. Uh, but you're right. I mean, even if the Zags beat them twice, they've got to split with St. Mary's. I think there is a separation. I think the teams that seemed really scary coming in would be like a USF. Uh, Santa Clara is 13-3 and three or 13-2, and two, but their strength of schedule is like 350-something. So that's a little bit misleading. But I think the teams in the past, like a Pepperdine, Pepperdine's not playing well, but they've got a team at home on any given night. They, they can put up 90. And you're right, they've got to beat those teams. San Diego's down. Portland's still not very good. LMU is down. Uh, but San Francisco, Santa Clara, BYU doesn't have to play Santa Clara at home. They only have them at their place. So that's a positive thing for them. But BYU's in a place to get to the tournament. Now, you start looking at Net, Sagarin, uh, Ken Palm, all that stuff. They're in the 30s. And I think there's an expectation. The mentality nationally is that this is an NC2A team. We all know that sometimes you have teams you feel that way, but nobody else does. And when, when you have all of these indicators saying this is a team that should be in the tournament, you can probably get away with a bad loss or something here, but they've got to split with St. Mary's. And if they were to split with St. Mary's and beat the Zags at home, that would be a lock. But I, I still believe a lot would have to go wrong. Uh, and what you just, the scenario of them losing to a couple of really bad teams during conference could hurt them. Uh, but I think they're in a really good place to go to the NCAA tournament. I think, you know, right now, Utah State, BYU, and, uh, and, I, and I, I really like this Utah team. I, 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 they have exceeded expectations of everyone. Now it's the grind of conference. And if they can somehow, some way, figure out a way to win nine or ten games in this, it, it might be one of Coach Kosoviak's best coaching jobs ever. Steve, we appreciate a few minutes. It's almost dinner time. We've gone on too long. Thanks for joining us, and I'm going to let Yox send us to break here. All right. Take care. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider.